Hello, and welcome to the G2 Podcast. Okay, we're going to get started. I'm so looking forward to this, guys, um, this week on hymns. Um, this is the third time we've done this, actually, um, and, um, and it's always extraordinary what comes out for people. Hymns are remarkable, um, and uh, for some of you, you might kind of think, oh no, hymns sound like boring and stuffy old songs that you sing at funerals or sometimes at weddings that you sometimes see on a royal wedding or something. Um, but um, my hope is today that the, these hymns will really come alive for you as you uh, look more into why these songs were written uh, and what's contained within them. Uh, what is a hymn? A hymn is a song that's designed to sing in community. It's full of scripture and it should point us to God, it should point us to Jesus if it does its job. There's plenty of hymns that are written that don't do that, which is why uh, in the title of today, it is the caveat is that they also have to be awesome. Um, there are some rubbish hymns, and we've decided to not do a, a Sunday on hymns ancient and rubbish. Um, <laughs> So, uh, but, but what we're also going to do with the rhythm of what we do today is we're looking at five different hymns. I'll speak a little bit about each one. I'll point to you to the scripture that's in them, because sometimes it might be obvious. Like there's a couple of the songs that we'll sing today will speak about death, where is your sting, which is a well-known scripture. But um, others, other scriptures, you might not be so obvious. And even if you, th- you sort of think, oh, perhaps that's in the Bible somewhere, that sort of sounds Bible-y, um, it's good to know where is it from. So I'll try and point those out to you and tell you a little bit about why the hymns were written or some of the story behind them. And then it just gives us a little bit more meaning behind it. And there's also fantastic songs which are are still written. So they're not all old. We'll sing in Christ Alone. That was written in 2000, which is makes it quite old now, um, but not in the scale of some of the ones that we'll sing. Um, But looking at the meaning of songs is important because otherwise... Uh, basically, hymns teach us theology. Hymns teach us what we really uh, believe, and it goes in somehow by us learning the words and remembering it with the pattern of the music and the tune. Um, so it really matters. So good example. Some of you all have heard me talk about this before. A great song that we sing he- here, which is really good, is "All Your Promises Are Yes and Amen," but it's easily misunderstood. I love the song, and it is from Scripture, and it does, it does come from 2 Corinthians 1.20, which is, for all God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. So in other words, all your promises, God, are made yes in the person of Jesus, and we give our amen to it, or our amen to it, as a church. But when we sing to God, all your promises are yes and amen, we don't always know that that's what it's meaning. And particularly for those of us who are new to faith, it might sound like that was saying, um, all your promises are yes and amen. Whatever God wants, whatever you want to do, God says, yes and amen, do it. A big thumbs up, whatever it is. I give you a big promise of a yes and amen. And so it's just a nuance is worth looking at. So that's why we're looking into 
um, hymns today. So let me give you four good reasons for it. Um, ancient ways are great. Um, in Jeremiah 6.16, it says this, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Ancient trodden paths which have been worn before by people who have been looking for God are worth knowing about. It's worth knowing why was that helpful to that person and why has this hymn been sung thousands upon thousands of times? It's probably because it's got something of goodness in it. Um, So that's the first thing. Secondly, hymns teach us good theology and they're memorable through the poetry, like I've said already. Thirdly, hymns help us to be honest about fear and doubt. Uh, So you'll see plenty of that in some of the words we sing today. There's some difficult things that are named, which is really crucial. And they speak the truth of Jesus so that freedom is found. So it helps us to go on that journey. Uh, And fourthly, um, the Bible tells us to sing hymns, not always old hymns, but it tells us to sing together. Um, in Ephesians 5, 18 to 19, it says, Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music uh, from your heart to the Lord. So that's why it's good. That's why it's a good thing to do together uh, today. Our first hymn that we're going to sing, and by the way, in order to do, in order to make this work, it's got to be a team effort. These guys have rehearsed various different versions of these hymns, and they're phenomenal. And some of them are slightly different arrangements to the, what you might know as the traditional version. So you're in good company because all of these hymns that we're doing, apart from In Christ Alone, have also had other versions that musically that were written originally and then the, the, a new person has written a better version and that people have adopted that. That's a really common thing that's happened, with, particularly with the ancient hymns. And so it's okay that there's a slightly different arrangement and it's partly what we do at G2 is to experience something. So don't, to, if, it, if it doesn't, if you don't like it, if you think, oh, I prefer a different version, that's all right. Don't resist that too much. Um, but also, you have to give it beans with a hymn, and particularly this first hymn that we're going to do, which is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah. You have to sing it from your belly. If any of you are Welsh, you will love this. It is done to the, the uh, music that's called Cum Ronda, which means the Ronda Valley in Welsh. Um, and it is sung at the start of every Welsh rugby game or football game, and um, you, you might be familiar with the sound of it, particularly with the, ref- the refrain, Bread of Heaven, which gets repeated. Um, it was written by uh, William Williams, and um, what a great name that is. Um, <laughs> there's just <laughs> so good they named him twice. Um, he was referred to as the Watts of Wales, um, after Isaac Watts, who wrote a huge number of hymns. Um, William Williams wrote 700 hymns in Welsh and 100 in English. So that probably gives you an idea of where he was coming from. Um, this hymn was sung at the funeral of Lady Diana and at the wedding of William and Kate. Um, and um, yeah, in 1738, Williams heard... Howell Harris preach, and he was one of Whitfield's disciples. So, if you, some of you will know your history of the Welsh revival and the uh, Wesleyan revival pretty well, but Whitfield and Wesley uh, were two characters who kind of switched across the Atlantic. 
um, and Whitfield uh, had more success eventually in America. Um, Wesley had more success in his mission here, and both of them had almost a failed ministry in the in the opposite place. Um, and so he'd heard him preach, and Harris had put up a hit Welsh hymn writing contest, and Williams entered it and won that contest. He became eventually known as the poet laureate um, of the Wesleyan revival, uh, of the sorry of the Welsh revival. And um, so eventually he was um, expelled from the Anglican Church for heresy, which I have to say, the more I've read all about these great hymn writers, they're all expelled by the Anglican Church. So that's <laughs> maybe something we should take note of. Um, Peter Williams translated the first verse into English because it was written in Welsh originally. Um, that he's not related, as we've already established, it's just a common name in Wales. Uh, so Peter Williams, not related. But then William Williams, the original writer, translated the other verses into English. Um, William travelled for 43 years on horseback, covering 100,000 miles around Wales in his life. Spent most of his life in nature. So hard to imagine the life of some an itinerant Welsh preacher in that era. Uh, he was very often accosted and often beaten uh, to within an inch of his life by an angry mob for preaching the gospel. Um, and so there's something of that rawness that comes out of this in the journey that he's offering us to sing. Uh, there's a well, it's a bit of a Welsh beauty you can almost feel as you're singing it. Um, the miners would sing it on their way to work during the Welsh revival. Um, and, it, and it tells the story of the Exodus. Um, that you might spot some things where you think, ah, yeah, that, I recognise that. Um, and um, so in a, in a way, it carries, because it carries that sort of liberation um, narrative uh, from exile into freedom, uh, then it's similar in a way to some of the spiritual songs that were sung in the cotton fields of the Southern American states. Let's just have a look at some of the verses. Um, so this is the first one, God me out thou great Jehovah. By the way, that Je the word Jehovah is quite often uh, switched out for the more uh, English version, which includes uh, which has the word Redeemer, guide me, O thou great Redeemer. And this was because people panicked about the word Jehovah because they thought uh, that it was a bad translation of Yahweh. Uh, and it kind of is. Jehovah, out of interest, is a mashup of the, uh, the word Yahweh and the word Adonai, which Adoniel has in his name. My, uh, the Lord and Yahweh, which is the name of God, put into one is Jehovah. Um, but I think we can cope and not all become Jehovah's Witnesses as a result of singing this song. So uh, in the uh, first verse, it's particularly looking at Exodus 12 to 14. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you each day so that the people should go out and gather enough for each day. So that story of manna, God's provision, that's what we see in the first verse particularly. The next verse, which could, again, Maybe you know this really well, but it could sound a little bit confusing to some of us. Open now the crystal fountain whence the healing stream doth flow. But that comes from Exodus 13, where it says, The Lord went in front of them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them along the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light so that they might travel by day and night, neither the pillar uh, nor, nor the, pillar, the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire left a place uh, in front of the people, uh, and then strong deliverer uh, and the strength and shield comes from Psalm 28. 
verse 7. Um, then there's a slightly uncommon version, uh, verse which we're including in our one today. Um, if you see the one that was done at William and Kate's funeral, it's only, uh, not their funeral, how, what, a, what a horrendous thing to say. Um, they haven't died. At their wedding, sorry. Um, this verse isn't included, but it, I wanted to include it today because I love the uh, words in it. Um, musing on my habitation, musing on my heavenly home, fills my joy with holy longings. Come, my Jesus, come quickly, come. Um, and thinking of that sort of in-between bit, how we do, we are citizens of heaven, but we also absolutely live here. That's such a difficult tension for us to live in sometimes. Maybe for many of us today, it's not so difficult, but it was for them where people were being beaten up for preaching the gospel. Um, and so those are some of the scriptures uh, that are being pointed to there where Paul says in Philippians, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of uh, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Um, and Lord, I long to be with thee, coming from Psalm 42, verse 2, my soul thirsts for God. Um, and then the final ver verse, which you may recognize a little bit more, treading the verge of Jordan, um, there's that bit in Joshua when they need to get to the edge of the Jordan before they cross it. Um, you might be familiar with that story before they go across. Um, and then in Psalm 104, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath so that I will, give, I will always give you praises. So that's some of the scriptures that are in that particular song, some of the story behind it. Now I think it would be good if we could stand and sing it together. And like I say, if you can give it everything you've got, it will be a much better experience for everyone involved. Um, and particularly in the bit where we repeat lines, give it everything. Following the sporting theme, our next uh, hymn is Abide With Me, um, which is often sung at funerals and when we go through it you can see why that would be the case um, but I really love the lyrics in this song and I don't think they're all um, too dreary they deal with life and death um, in all its fullness it was written by Henry Francis Light who was another Anglican vicar that was booted out for preaching the wrong thing um, uh, a great hymn writer. Um, he wrote Praise My Soul, uh, the King of Heaven, if some of you might recognize that one. Um, he suffered ill health all of his life. He was one of these people who was unfortunately born with various different illnesses that he had to live with. Um, and uh, when he was aged 54, he'd, gone, he'd got to a rhythm where he needed to be in a hot country for certain times of the year. Um, and they were on in a bit of a family holiday, um, and uh, he had TB, tuberculosis, and was nearing the end of his life, and it became obvious that he was really close to the end. And he insisted on preaching to his family and close friends, much to their um, annoyance, actually, uh, which I can relate to. Uh, my dad died um, in 2009, and... Um, some of the things that somebody who's towards the end of their life insists on being able to do, it can be frustrating for those of us who are caring for them in that moment. 
Um, but you want to go for it anyway and help them to do it. So uh, he insisted on preaching to his uh, wider family and friends. Uh, and he said, it's better to wear out than rust out. That was one of his phrases. Um, and he wrote this hymn as a gift to them and gave it to them without music, but gave it to them as a poem. Um, and uh, that was part of his preach. And then he died a few weeks later. And when you read the, um, the, the words of this hymn, when knowing that this was written by a dying man, embracing the fact that he was about to go into the arms of Jesus, it has a different depth to it. It Abide with me, uh, for those of you who weren't sure, is always sung uh, just before the FA Cup final um, by everyone. The first verse of that is extraordinary, really, how those things just continue to last in our culture, which is seemingly in a large part given up on Christianity uh, and is uninterested by it. But things like that seem to remain. So you, if you watch the FA Cup final this year, you'll, you'll hear them sing Abide with me. Um, the sentiment is largely taken from John 15. Abide, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So this whole thing of living, abiding, living in Jesus is central to it. Um, and um, so let's have a look at some of the particular scriptures which are in it. Um, that's the the um, the top one. There is the road to Emmaus. So they urged him um, strongly, uh, saying, "Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over." So he went to stay with them when they were walking on the road to Emmaus. And those disciples, just thinking, "Just hang on, just stay with us." They had that idea of remaining with us. Um, and help of the helpless comes from Psalm 10, verse 12. Arise, Lord, lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. And God does that throughout Scripture. He doesn't forget the helpless. Um, and um, so you can see from those other Scriptures as well in Psalm 102 and then also in Malachi 3, um, 16. Um, that he doesn't change and that no matter what happens and, and uh, diminishes on earth, his glory doesn't. Let's skip to the next one. Uh, and um, there's a slightly strange verse, which I've not sourced loads of scriptures for, but we are going to sing. Often it's missed out, but we're not going to do that one. Um, by the way, you'll be able to find loads of other scriptures when you're looking at these. It's not like these are the only definitive scriptures that are in this, but these are just some of the ones that I've found as I'm going through it. Um, so he has healing in his wings. That's in Malachi 4.2, and then in Luke 7.34. Uh, um, he's being, uh, Jesus is being accused of being a friend of sinners, hanging out with, uh, a, being a glutton and hanging out with drunkards and all that sort of stuff. Um, but he wants to spend time um, with us. Let's have a look at the next one. Um, remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord, in Psalm 25, verse 7. And that's uh, key to this next verse and the one after that 
Um, the God of peace will shortly crush Satan under your feet. The grace of your Lord Jesus be with you. Um, knowing that the tempter will try and put us off. He'll try and throw us off following Jesus, the enemy, the devil, Satan, however you want to put it um, in your language. And then the final uh, two verses, I've, I fear no foe with thee at hand to bless, comes from Psalm 27. You can see that one there. Hopefully you can read all of these. This is the first one that we'll sing today that uses the 1 Corinthians 15, 55, where, O death, is your victory, where, O death, is your sting. Um, again, remembering that it was written by someone who's about to die, that has another layer of meaning to it. And it fin finishes at the cross. Um, okay, let's stand and sing this one together. Have a seat. Our next hymn is And Can It Be by Charles Wesley, um, a belter. And he wrote a lot of them. But he also was a man who wrote a lot of hymns. Uh, it's said that he wrote 6,500 hymns in his life, which if you weren't sure, is that a lot or not? Yeah, it's a lot. Um, <laughs> he uh, and his brother, John Wesley, uh, set up the Methodists, and had an extraordinary life tale. If you're not sure of that life tale, it's worth looking into uh, much more later. John often did the preaching, and Charles would write the songs, and between them, they would help people to understand the fullness of the Gospels. Uh, after uh, a failed trip to Georgia in America, like I said, uh, they, it was a cat catastrophic failure, actually, in America for the Wesleys, but they learned an awful lot, and it really forged... Uh, a lot of their own theology. And they were on the boat coming back and they encountered some Moravians on a ship. Um, and these Moravian Christians were full of the freedom of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in a way that the Wesleys had never encountered before. And they were scrubbing the decks uh, and, and like looking after and serving everyone else and not like some of the more pompous uh, Christians um, insisting on being looked after by everyone else. So they were real servant-hearted. And then there was a huge storm and these, guys, these Moravians weren't worried at all. Um, uh, they knew that they would be with Jesus if there was a, st uh, a storm and there was nothing they could do about it if they were going to go down. So they were just at peace. And something in the life of John and Charles Wesley changed then. They also then had uh, an encounter with the Holy Spirit through some of these Moravians. One of them is called Peter Bowler, who was very influential in their life. Um, and at Aldersgate, uh, John wrote in his diary that he experienced his heart being strangely warmed. That's a phrase that's often quoted about him. The fire of the Holy Spirit was felt by him in his life. And everything really changed after that. And that's when they started to travel in this country to preach. And Charles would write the songs that they would then sing. And because they'd been booted out by the Church of England, um, they needed to preach in uh, the fields and the quarries and the mines and just wherever they could get. So they used to try and find natural amphitheaters and preach there. And then they would leave people with these hymns that they could sing. Um, and Can It Be is one of the best, I think. Uh, personally, my, my dad used to teach me hymns when I was little and we would sing them at bedtime together. 
Uh, and this was one of my favorite ones, particularly when it came to the chains being broken off. I used to love that bit. Um, and uh, the, the, there's something of the total amazement and mystery which, the, which we have in the gospel. You cannot understand it. I was trying to explain it actually this week to a friend of mine that I went to school with who's an, an utter atheist, like he really is saying, you will, he said to me, you will never change my mind. I wasn't trying to do that even, but he just, that's how firm he is. Um, and I cannot articulate the mystery of the gospel to him. It's too good and it's too wonderful. I, I sort of can't do it in words. I can hopefully show it to him in how I live. Um, but the way I feel about Jesus is indescribable in a way. And somehow Charles Wesley gets this uh, in his amazement. And can it be? Like, is that surely not that the gospel is this good? Um, some of the scriptures, just briefly, I won't um, go into them too much, but some of them, Philippians 2, 7 and 8, um, talks of, uh, rather, he made himself, nothing being taken very much, uh, a servant, just like he would have experienced from those Moravians being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And in the next verse, um, that's Paul and Silas's story. That's being uh, um, referenced when it talks about imprisoned spirit and being a nature's night. Um, and then the whole Acts journey, really, that you see there uh, is in that particular verse. And then finishing uh, on the final one with no condemnation now I dread, that's um, you, maybe you've read that one before, and it it's often sticks with people. There, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, and those are some of the other scriptures that are in this uh, hymn as well. Let's stand together and sing it. Gets you going, doesn't it, that one? Um, this next hymn is... Uh, we were trying to work out which hymn to have the children in for at the end, and we decided not to go for There is a Fountain Filled with Blood, because it does take a little bit of understanding to understand where that's coming from. Um, this is a wonderful um, hymn written by William Cooper. That's how you say his surname, although you might think it was Cowper, but it's Cooper. Um, he was from Berkhamstead, and um, in fact, he was one of the best early Romantic poets, um, for those of you who like the Enneagram, he was definitely a type four. Um, and um, he was very drawn to the melancholic, the romantic, and, the, um, and that, that side of life. He would have enjoyed discussing those sorts of things with people. Um, he's trained as a lawyer um, and suffered serious depression for all of his life. Um, he was offered the job of being the clerk of the House of Lords, although he never actually took that up. Um, he couldn't bear the idea of being under public scrutiny, although he was particularly brilliant. Um, he was pretty convinced that he was going to be damned. Uh, he was overwhelmed by the, the sense of his own sin, his awareness of his own sin. He just sort of couldn't get away from that. Until he met uh, John Newton, um, who wrote Amazing Grace and many other fantastic hymns and so was around at the same time as the 
um, Clapham sect and those who were working on the abolition of the slave trade. Um, and the freedom that came from their theology and preaching and understanding and hymn writing led him to a different place. And so he worked with John Newton and wrote 68 hymns together. And I think that explains some of the freedom you see in the lyrics of this particular hymn. Um, you see he's blown away by how free he is. Let's have a look at some of those verses that we're going to sing in a minute. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And then this, there's lots of refrains in this where it repeats um, and uh, that's part of the rhythm that has worked so well and it was particularly used in some of the missions that happened in America that would have been tented missions uh, and so it has a bit of the, the tune that's used has that kind of um, lilt to it so it wouldn't originally have been sung with that tune um, so uh, Zechariah 13 verse 1 on that day a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from the sin and impurity so that's a prophecy um, speaking of Jesus of what was going to happen be Jesus being a descendant of David so that's what it's pointing at there um, and then uh, this from Luke 23, 42 to 44. Um, that moment on the cross when uh, the, there's the two criminals and one of them asks for forgiveness and one of them doesn't want it at all. Um, just that's the thing that the thief that's being referred to um, uh, on the, the, uh, the rejoice that he must have experienced knowing that his sins were forgiven. Uh, in the next one, uh, we see... Uh, 1 Peter 1.19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That's what's being referred to. Uh, and then Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom uh, for many. Um, also Revelation 7.14, so lots of lambs and blood being referred to. Um, I guess as well, it, uh, his... Sometimes when this song's sung, the final verse is missed out, which is when this poor lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. Then an, in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power, thy power to save. And that's not always included when people sing this one. Um, George particularly loves this song and particularly loves that verse. And I guess it uh, refers to his awareness of his own weakness so when we were discussing which hymns to do um george is keen for that one to be included and i'm so glad um the 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 guy who wrote this uh, william cooper um was bullied and nearly took his own life many times um moses had a stammer so i wonder uh, whether he was referring to that here and was relating to it but jesus is our rescuer no matter what he has the power to save us out of all sorts of things. And like I said, uh, he experienced all sorts of depression and it was, it was a very difficult time for him. And yet he experienced the freedom through the ministry of John Newton and working with him experienced the fullness of Jesus and the freedom that he brings. I think that comes across. So let's uh, stand and sing that together. Maybe that one was a new one for some of you. I think it's a great one. Maybe it's one we'll keep in uh, in our G2 repertoire. Um, our final song is In Christ Alone, which was written by Stuart Townend. Uh, and um, 
he there's a, the story behind it is so amusing um, in the sense that he wishes there was a better story to tell behind why he wrote this song. Um, Stuart Townend's a Yorkshire boy, um, by the way. Um, he lives in Brighton now, but no one is perfect. And um, <laughs> he was at a Christian conference in the, in the year 2000 uh, and was chatting with Keith Getty, who's written an awful lot of Christian music. You might see Getty music at the bottom of a lot of our... Uh, songs we sing. Uh, and uh, Keith Getty's a guy from Northern Ireland, um, and they were chatting away about the lack of quality in what in modern worship music and, and um, some of the sort of Jesus is my boyfriend songs that they didn't like. So they were kind of having a bit of that sort of a chat and thinking, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. But let's get some real scripture into some of the words we sing. So that was the kind of conversation they were having. And then they felt the conviction that they shouldn't grumble about songs that are written and instead they should write a better one. So they agreed to stop grumbling and to write a better one. Uh, Keith Getty wrote uh, three pieces of music and put them on a CD because it was in 2000 and posted it because it was in 2000 to, <laughs> um, to um, Stuart Townend uh, who received it and p pressed play on the CD. Uh, and the first bit of music was the music that we now sing uh, to In Christ Alone. And he said as soon as he heard it, he just knew this is a total world changer. This song will be sung everywhere. But he hadn't written the words yet. So he thought, I need to write this song about something that is worth singing about everywhere. And so he decided to write a hymn about Christ and really this song, uh, this hymn, which it is kind of a hymn really rather than a song, um, it goes through uh, all that Christ is. Verse 1 is about who is Christ. Verse 2 is about the fact that Christ lived and died. Verse 3 is about uh, Christ rising from the dead. And verse 4 is, therefore, my life is free from fear and guilt and death as a result of that. It is absolutely littered with scripture. So here are some of them. I won't go through all of them. You're probably glad to see. But there's the cornerstone, the solid ground, the comforter, all in all, the word becoming flesh. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Um, it is absolutely all through it. It's not hard to spot. There's probably others that you, you could notice as well. And then the second, uh, there's four verses in total. The second ones um, are there as well. So while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. That's uh, the light of the world by darkness slain. Um, or perhaps it's the, the second time we're singing the sting of uh, death um, uh, being referred to uh, in there. Or maybe it's uh, in the final one, knowing that we live in the power of Christ because our citizenship is in heaven. And we're not just um, spoken to by the powers and dominions of this world, but we live in complete freedom. Um, the kids are going to join us for this hymn, but they're not here <laughs> yet. Um, so they'll come in at some point. Um, but... God, thank you for these amazing ancient hymns that are so rich in Scripture. Thank you that we can still sing them 200 years later and praise you through them. Thank you for the gift of music, for the gift of worship. Thank you that you are with us in all that we do.
be with us as we go into our weeks, whatever faces us in our weeks ahead. Amen.